0: You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. So we're in this series, it's week two, of a series we're calling Pixels. And if you were here last week, you remember a pixel, the word pixel comes from an element of a picture, a picture element. And a pixel is just one small part of a larger picture. And so we're looking at pixels of God and we're asking the question, what images of God or what's the picture of God that Scripture paints for us? Because everybody has their own picture of what God is like. Whether you're a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew, whether you're a Buddhist, a Hindu, or an atheist, everybody has a picture of what God is like, right? Right? Every religion is trying to paint a picture of what God is like. And, and people that don't even believe in God believe in the universe, you know, or, you know, the forces of nature. And they'll refer to, you know, if the universe wills it or whatever. That's, that's, everybody has this sense because God created us with this, this this yearning, this emptiness inside of us that only God can fill. And so as one theologian said, the heart of man is restless till it finds its rest in God. And so we all begin with trying to formulate what is God like. And I'm, I just want to say that Scripture, the Hebrew and Christian Scriptures, are our picture of God. That is our revelation of what God is like. It is God trying to help finite minds understand what the infinite is like. And so last week we talked about the beginning... And we try to invite you to wipe the slate clean because every artist starts with a clean slate or a lump of clay or a big rock of, uh, of marble, a big hunk of marble. And then they, they create this image. And, and what I was inviting us to do is all of us just kind of wipe the slate clean. Let's begin with the scripture and let it define for us what God is like. And so we saw how God at the very beginning took chaos and out of the chaos, he created beauty. He created order. And he said, it's very good. And then he, then he put mankind, humankind in the midst of it and said, you now are here to help extend this created order. And you're here to, to tend it, to maintain it, to build upon it. And, and so the role of humanity, the mandate of Scripture is for all of us to be people that are all about helping to take what is chaotic in this world and try to create order out of it or to stem the tide of decay in the world. That's our role as human beings to do that. Every one of us, whether you're a believer or not, that's your role. And so if we're about creating disorder and decay, that's antichrist, that's anti-God. But if we're about helping to fix things in this world and make the world a better place, we're doing the will of God. We're doing the work of God, no matter who you are. And that's awesome. So that's sort of the big picture at the beginning. Today I want to talk about this idea of God who is holy and full of grace and truth. And how do you, how do you merge those two things? And next week we're going to talk about God as our Redeemer. And we're going to, we're going to go dive deep into one of the best stories that Jesus ever told. The best pictures of God that Scripture gave us on Father's Day. And I'll let you think about what that might be. And then the last one, we're going to talk about God our healer. God our healer. So, So today I want to to turn to Scripture because that's really where we're getting our picture of God. And, And by the way, as I mentioned last week, you may not realize it, but your image of God has a lot to do with the person that you have become. It really does. Your picture of God in your life shapes you as a human being. And, and, and some people have this idea that, that God is distant and, 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 and something to be afraid of. Uh, and then there is this other picture of a God who's so intimate and close. You know, you have God, the one that's distant and far away, and God who's the Santa Claus, you know, who gives you everything you want. Well, well let's try to get the better picture of what God is like here. And, and to do that, I want you to turn in your Bibles... To Exodus. So we start in Genesis. Let's go to Exodus. Let's go to the second book of the Bible today, Exodus. And I want to invite you to turn there. If you have a digital Bible, turn there. If you uh, want to follow along in the notes, get the Riverside app on your digital device. Uh, And uh, if you need a Bible, there may be one in the pews in front of you. By the way, we're going to try to get some new paper Bibles and put in there for you so that you can follow along with me. I know you say, but you put the scriptures up there. I know that's what you're thinking. So why do I need to look at it if you're going to put it up there? Well, I'll tell you why. (laughs) Because I want you to know your Bible. I want you to know where that is. And I want you to take it beyond today and look at it and learn it and get it to be a part of you and get it inside of you. But for those of you that don't want to do that, here it is. (laughs) A little passive-aggressive today, Pastor Bill. (laughs) All right, here's a scripture. Moses on Mount Sinai. This is a picture of God we're going to dive into right now, okay? And uh, we'll jump right in the middle of the story, and then I'll back up and tell you how we got there. So Moses said to the Lord... Okay, he's having this conversation with God Almighty, all right? Moses says to the Lord, You have been telling me to lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said... I know you by name, and you found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I might know you, and I might continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, Yahweh, in your midst, in your presence. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and i will cover you with my hand and i until i have passed by and then i will remove my hand and you will see my back but my face must not be seen what a crazy story right what pictures are going on in your mind when you read this kind of interaction between Moses and the people? But let me back up because I got to get you the sort of the backstory of how Moses got here. You remember, uh, I can't tell you the whole story, but Moses's first encounter with the glory of God when he had fled from Egypt because he got in trouble there and, and it was a burning bush, Right? And this bush was burning, and he couldn't come close. He couldn't get to it. God said to him, He saw this bush, it was burning, and he gets close to this. It was fire, but it wasn't burning up, and all this. And so he gets, comes up to it because he's curious. Who wouldn't be? You know, you see this fire, you're out in the wilderness, you want to check it out, and it's just this one bush, and nothing else is catching fire. How weird is that? So he gets close, and, 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 and then God says, Do not come any closer. God says to him, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He was afraid to look at God. All right? All right. Then God talked to him and said, I have, a, I, have a, I have a calling for you. You're to lead the people who are slaves. My people are slaves in Egypt. I'm calling you. And Moses said, no, no, you got the wrong person. Gave him all the excuses why he shouldn't be the one to go. And he said, I won't go unless you go with me. And God says, I'll go with you. And he shows him. He proves to him that God's going to go with them. So it's like, God, I can't go without you. I'm gonna, I'll go if you go with me. God convinced him God was going to go with them to lead the people. And God did. You know the story he went down to Egypt, the ten. Legs. God delivered them. They, they, they set out. And as they get to the, uh, the Red Sea and, most, and Pharaoh's army starts to pursue them because Pharaoh was so, uh, you know, fickled, he would just change his mind every other time. And so he's chasing them. They have a sea in front of them, the army chasing behind them. And all of a sudden, this smoke and fire comes down from heaven and stands behind the people of God and holds back the army of Pharaoh. And God splits the Red Sea and the people cross over. And then we see in the book of Exodus how God always is appearing with smoke and fire, smoke and fire. God leads them at night through the fire and day through this pillar of smoke and, and takes them through the wilderness and takes them up to this place called Mount Sinai. And it was, most people think Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, the place where Moses first saw God at the burning bush or met with God at the burning bush, uh, was, was, could be the same mountain as Mount Sinai or they could just be close to one another. But they come to this place, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And if you look back in Exodus 19, it tells the story of when God was calling Moses to come up to the mountain because God was going to reveal to Moses who God was because these slaves in Egypt had long forgotten about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the story there. They were just getting by by survival under the the oppressive hand of the Egyptian rulers. And so God had to reteach the people who God was. So he calls Moses up on the mountain. He's going to give him the law, give him the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. But more than that, he's going to talk to him about how the people are to relate to God, how they're going to come and worship God. And so Moses is, is, feel, is hearing that. So it says here, look at verse, chapter 19, verse 16. There they are at the foot of the mountain. And it says, and on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, and everyone in the camp trembled. And Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain, and Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire, and smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. This is their picture of God. This is how God was revealing himself to them. Close your eyes. Get that picture in your mind. You're one of the people and you're there at the foot of the mountain and all of this stuff is happening. How are you feeling? What's going on in your mind? What's the picture that is formulating for you? And with that picture in mind, I I want you to be astounded at what happens. So, Moses calls, or God calls Moses to the mountain and Moses goes up there and there's a long period of time, days, weeks, maybe 40 days. That's the kind of common term they use to try, describe a long period of time. He's up in the mountain. And the people down below, they're, they're seeing all that's going on. They're fearing. They're hearing all of that. What do they do? What do they do? They decide, I don't know about that God. I want to make a God that I like. And they all throw their jewelry into the fire and they make this golden calf. They get their jewelry that they plundered out of Egypt. The, the stuff that they plundered when they left Egypt and they made a golden calf and let's create this golden calf and let's maybe put him on wheels and maybe we can pull him around wherever we want to go and we can control this God. We can make sure that that God will be the God that and I don't know how they thought of a golden calf maybe there were other gods that, that represented a calf in the polytheistic world in which they lived, not uh, unlike what we find in in parts of the Hindu world today. And so you see this, this idea that here they are, they build this golden calf when Moses is up on the mountain and God is telling Moses, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not create any idols, any other gods. And the very first two commandments that God gives to Moses up on the mountain, Moses comes down with the tablets and there the people are partying and dancing and celebrating around the fire and this golden calf that they had made. And Moses sees what's happening to these very people who would rather not have a God that they had to fear, but a God that they could make of their own design and, and lead around with them and you know what happens he throws the tablets down they get destroyed and God wreaks havoc in the camp and thousands of them die and a plague hits the people that is a picture of God that we don't like to talk about you know why because we don't want a God that's uncontrollable We want a God that we can tell and command and ask and take wherever we want to go. And where we want to go, we don't want them, we'll leave them behind. And when we want them, we'll come back and we'll take them where we want to go. It's a great book I read years ago by Donald McCullough called The Trivialization of God, and it goes into great detail about this story and how we still have that tendency to trivialize God because we want a God who is, who is safe, but we've made him too safe. Hebrews 10:31 says, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And so the picture of God that we get in Exodus is God is dangerous. God is dangerous. And it was precisely the fact that this God was so powerful that, that he was able to defeat Pharaoh. He was able to inflict plagues. He was able to, to deliver the people. The power of God was for them, but even if it was for them, they were too afraid of it, and they would rather have a God like the other gods of the nations around them. And that's always been the problem with Israel, and it's been the problem with all of God's peoples. We want a God like the world systems. And we don't want a God that we have to listen to. And we have to obey. So we don't like that God. The God is truly God Almighty. And here in chapter 33, God is calling Moses up again. The people have repented. They learn their lesson because of the judgment of God that they went through, and then God calls them up again, and Moses says, this time, God, I want to see you completely. I want to know what you're really, really like. And in chapter 33, he asks God, God, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. Show me everything. And at this point, he knew that God was calling them from the wilderness into the promised land, where they were to be called by God, the, pro- the land promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the land where they were before they were taken down into Egypt under Joseph, and that whole long story in Genesis. So they're going back there, and they knew that there were people in the land, and God was, they needed God to help them to occupy the land. And Moses says, God, I will not go up there without you. His greatest fear was to lead the people without the presence of God. God said, I'm not going with you, because if I go with you, I might destroy those people. And Moses said, if you're not going, I'm not going. Right? If you're not going, God, I'm not going. Because Moses had that kind of relationship with God. That was his greatest fear. If you're not going with me, I'm not going without you. And, and, and what a bold request it was when he said, now show me your glory. In other words, he was saying, God, if you said you're going to go with me, I want proof. I want proof that you're going to go with me. A bold request. I want to see you, God. I want proof that I'm not going to go up there and lead those people and you're not going to be there with me. And notice, God promised him three things that he would do and then one thing that he wouldn't do. He said, I'm going to let all my goodness pass in front of you. Put the scripture up there. I'm going to proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'm going to have mercy on whom I have mercy and compassion. But you cannot. The one thing you cannot do is see my face because nobody can see the face of God and live. And so the unshielded, radiant glory of a holy God is just too dangerous for humanity to comprehend. God's presence is holy. But notice he said there, but I am compassionate and gracious. And, And the two things... Holding those two things together is what I want to talk about in the next few minutes before we, we move on this morning. How can a God who is so dangerous, so scary, so frightening, so terrifying be merciful and gracious, right? And, and how do we as human beings balance those two pictures of God? So the, the pixel number two there is that God is dangerous, but God is also good, he is terrible, but he is merciful. He is aweful, full of awe. Not awful, but aweful, full of awe. And he is full of compassion. I don't know how many of you, my parents, when we grew up, we had wrote prayers that we'd pray at breakfast, lunch, and dinner when we, before we'd have our meals. And our prayer was this, and you probably prayed something similar God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food, right? But do you realize how profound that is? God is great, and God is good. I mean, what what an image. I didn't have any idea of what the Scripture says back then. My parents were just teaching us a simple prayer to pray. But what what a great prayer to pray. God, you are great, and you are good. I'm going to thank you for this food. By your hands, we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. Amen. God is both terrible and God is merciful, as I have said. In fact... This is the exact picture that C.S. Lewis painted in the story of the Chronicles of Narnia. If you've read that, you might have heard this talked about before. In the story of the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is a lion, and he is the god figure in the story. And Susan, one of the kids that fall through the wardrobe and finds herself in this land of Narnia, is, is told that she can meet Aslan. And she, she realizes that, that Aslan is a lion. And, and she talks to Mr. Beaver, who is talking to her about and teaching her this. And he says, I thought that he was a man. And Susan says, but is he, is he quite safe? I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's good, I tell you. He's the king. Wow. What a beautiful picture. And so as we read earlier in Exodus, it says, and so God passed in front of Moses proclaiming Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And so last week we got this pixel of the creator God that takes chaos and creates order out of it. And he invites us to carry on that work. And here we see this picture of a dangerous holy God who evokes terror. And like Isaiah, remember Isaiah the prophet when he was called by God during the terrible times uh, of Israel's decline, Judah's decline, and and God calls him, he he gets this vision, he's called up into the heavens, and he stands there and he says, Woe to me! I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. In other words, I am too afraid to be in your presence because I am a person that is, has sinned in my life and so, so I can't get too close and you know the story there where an, uh, a messenger, an angel picks up a coal from the fire and touches his lips and, and forgives him and so we see this dangerous and this holy God who is terrifying and yet when he reveals his nature to Moses he says I'm compassionate and gracious and slow to anger I'm abounding in love. <laughs> I remember when I was in eighth grade algebra class. I had Mr. Crawl as my teacher. He was scary, <laughs> scary, <laughs> intimidating. Mr. Crawl. He'd always point with two fingers like that. And my greatest fear was he'd go and he'd call everybody by their last name. And he'd say Ellis go to the board, solve that equation. Oh, that was terrifying, it was terrifying. But then, uh, years later, because it was a small school, you get older, and then you kinda get to know the teachers more personally. He was the funniest guy you'd ever know. You know, he was like this terrifying teacher, but personally, he had this great, warm character. A, A very, very poor picture of God. But that's kind of what I get a feeling like when I think of this. You know, God who is scary, but really when you get to know him, he's all for you. He's all for you. He's all for you. He's all for you. I want that God on my side, don't you? I want that God on my side. So so how do you get How do you know when it's safe to come close to this God? Because here's the problem that we face. When we're feeling guilty, what do we do? We don't want to get close to that God because we know we can't stand to be in the presence of the God. So if your view of God is this God that just can't wait to punish you, Thus, God that just wants to judge you. If your image of God is that only part of God, then the problem with that is you don't want anything to do with that God, and you're just going to avoid God. And so when you're feeling guilty, when you've done something wrong, or when you're going your own way, you just avoid God. You just quit thinking about God. You're going to just pretend God doesn't exist or you're going to claim to be an atheist or an agnostic and all that stuff that will justify your behavior and yada, yada, yada. And so, so you avoid God whenever you're feeling a little distant, a little far from God. And like Adam and Eve, basically, we hide from God when we're guilty. Because we can't get it into our heads that that God would still love us. And you know that when that, when that guilt remains, that underlying nagging guilt and shame and regret and remorse that people feel, oh, that just creates all kinds of horrible things in our world, right? Because hurting people hurt people. People that are full of shame are going to throw shame on everybody else. We've got to bring everybody down to our level whenever we're feeling that way. And, 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 and so what do we do? I want to just close real quickly here, but we got to look to the Christian Scriptures. We got to look to so you see this picture in Moses on Mount Sinai, a God who is terrifying yet full of compassion and mercy. Then we turn to the scripture, to the the Gospels, and in the Gospel of John, John writes this about Jesus. And he says, he was in the beginning with God. He was with God. In other words, that same image that we get of God in the Hebrew Scriptures of a God who is all-powerful, a God who can do anything and wreak terror on people. In fact, the Jewish people in Jesus' day, and most ortho, and orthodox Jews today will not write the name of God. They will not speak the name of God because it's too holy for them to talk about. And that's the, that's the context of the, of the days in which Christ came and the, the view of God that these people had. But it says he was in the beginning. And then it says that the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. When we think of glory, do we get the picture of Moses and fire and smoke? Because that's what glory is. We saw his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And what is he like? Full of grace and truth. And out of his fullness we all receive grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God. No one ever saw God, remember? Moses, you can't see me and live. Jesus could see God, Jesus was God, but God in the flesh, Jesus comes to us And he disrobes of all that glory and becomes just a regular person like you and me, still fully God and fully human. It's just too great for us to comprehend. And he says, here's what God is like. You want to know what the glory of God is like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Come close to Jesus. Jesus made God known to us. That glory that was partially revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai became fully visible in the person of Jesus. Moses could only hear that that God's word proclaiming that God was full in grace and truth. He couldn't see it, but now the word becomes flesh. We can see what glory looks like in human form. Grace and truth comes about in Jesus. And so what, what John did is he took that picture of God on Mount Sinai And he said, This is what Jesus is right here. And he really translates that passage of full of grace and truth, or full of compassion and mercy, to full of grace and truth. He said, Here's the picture of God that Moses gives you. Now look at the picture that Jesus gives you. Does it minimize the holiness of God? Absolutely not. Because what Jesus did, he took the fire, he took the sin. He took your rebellion, he took your guilt, he took your shame. Did he minimize it? Absolutely not. Did he just say, ah, you know, it doesn't really matter what you do. No, it matters greatly and I'll take it from you. And the fire and the smoke of God came down on Mount Calvary. And Jesus took it all for you and for me. And he did that so that you and I can draw close to God. Full of grace and full of truth. At Christmas time, we often talk, well, what can I give the baby Jesus? And so we talk about, well, let's give him, you know, let's, make mo- let's give money to the church. Let's give offerings. Let's do this for Jesus. Let's do that. She says, I don't want your money. I want your sin, give me your sin, that's the only thing I want, I want I'll want. i take it from you, because I know what a holy God is like, and I want to give you access to that God who is for you, not against you, and through me, you can get access to that God. That's the picture of Jesus, a profound picture of God. And I'm just going to skip to the end in the notes here if you don't mind. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. We should never trivialize God. God deserves our awe and our reverence. I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time and prepare for our closing. Do not trivialize God. Take your walk with God seriously Again, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming. It doesn't say he was a consuming fire. Our God still is a consuming fire. That's God. God is holy. God is worthy of our respect. Don't play games. Don't play games with God. But notice elsewhere in Hebrews chapter ten, and this is the, this is this is this is the whole point. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence now to enter into that most holy place, how, by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain. That is, his body, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart Folks, that's the God that we have. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful to have that picture of a God who is worthy of of all the respect, but he's for you and he's not against you? Would you bow your heads with me, please? In just a moment, we're going to respond and sing. But you know what? Right now, I always like to give a little space for you to listen to the Spirit speaking to you. What are the scriptures saying to you today? What, where in your life are you feeling like you're hiding from God and God is saying, you know what, give it to me. Come close to me. I, I'll take your guilt. I'll take your shame. I'll take all of that because I, I am for you. I am not against you. And maybe you've been hiding from God and it's time to come back to God today. If you want to come back to God today and say, God, I respect you. I'm going to obey you. I want to follow you but God, I need you to forgive me and I need Jesus to take my sin. I need him to take my guilt. And if you're here today and that's you, just say, just say yes, God, that's me. Raise your hand if you want. Just say, yeah, God, that's me. God, I know I need you in my life and I respect you, God. I want to follow you. So lead me, God. I, I want to be like Moses and say, God, uh, I want you to go with me. I, if, if you don't go with me, I'm not going from this place today. I want you to go with me. Lead me and guide me and help me to follow you. You are holy and worthy of my worship. And I am so grateful that you are a loving God, full of grace, full of truth, full of compassion, full of mercy. In Jesus' name I pray. I give my life to you. I recommit myself to you. I want to follow after you, Jesus.